welcome. My name is Tom, and this is The Enthusiasm Project, Season 5, Episode 5, Ready to Thrive, Feeling Alive, Sorry. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. Today, we're going to do a Q&A episode because they're really fun, and it's actually been a while since I've done one, and Q&A episodes are one of those things where they're they are so fun that I could probably literally do one every single week, but also then it's very tough to talk about other things. So what I've decided to do, which I've been doing unofficially, but starting officially with season five is to do a Q&A episode every like twice a season. So we're five episodes in, do one here and then do one towards the end, maybe like episode 16-ish or so, somewhere around there, that we will have in the run of the 21 episodes per season, we'll have time for a couple different Q&A episodes. So today's questions are coming from Twitter and Instagram, and also uh, I have one voice message from Anchor, <laughs> so we'll be including that voice message from Anchor as well. Uh, I am doing, of course, the video version of the podcast, so trying to you know spice that up a little bit every week if you want access to the video version that's all through patreon and youtube channel memberships Uh, both offer the exact same perks and all the links and things are in the show notes if you want to be able to see see the magic (laughs) instead of just hearing it but speaking of hearing the magic i am actually using a new microphone this week so uh, i figured i should talk about that before we get started i'm using the lewitt LCT240 Pro, and uh, it's a condenser microphone that I got. I've actually had it for about a week now, actually just under a week. And so far, I've really, really been liking it. It's uh, absolutely awesome, you might say. And uh, this is one, I saw this microphone, David Foster, who's impartial geek on like YouTube and social media and stuff. He uses this microphone, but I had no idea what it was. I just would see his streams and he has like this cool looking white microphone that sounded really good. Didn't know what it was. It was in the Ecamm group last week and there was a live stream with Doc Rock and India Delgado and India was using this mic and I was like, that's the same mic. What is it? And finally they told me what it was and I ordered it during the stream (laughs) and got it like two days later and started using it which is crazy because it's a $150 condenser microphone so you do need some sort of interface for it but you don't need a like a signal boost or anything because it needs phantom power to run. And typically a condenser microphone that runs on phantom power is going to have plenty of gain. Uh, so you don't need any kind of booster. I did learn that I think it's Fethead, like a Fethead phantom. They do make a booster that also lets phantom power go through it. So you could use it with condenser mics, uh, which is sort of interesting. But anyway, um, I think that'd be useful for something like... Uh, like a powered shotgun mic, like I have the Deity S Mic 2, which runs on phantom power. But if you wanted to boost the signal to that, then it would make sense why you would want a signal booster, but also the ability to let the power go through. I'm kind of getting off track here, but um, that's totally fine. Anyway, got this microphone. It's a $150 microphone. And I have been really, really liking it more than I expected to, and I've used it on a few streams and other podcasts this week, and I've gotten really good feedback on it, so I'm curious to hear my cue for you to A today would be uh, what you think about this microphone and how it sounds, because especially for the price, it's it's a tough one to beat, but also when it comes to microphones, if you saw the video I did this past week, which was 
just talking about my microphone addiction and the ever-growing collection of microphones, um, it's not just about getting a good microphone, but it's getting one that suits your voice. And there's something about this one that my like nasally nerdyish voice, it just works really well with it. So I don't know if that's a good thing for me or an insult to the microphone, but uh, I've been really, really liking the Lewitt microphone, the LCT 240 Pro. It's, there's a lot of pros and not a lot of cons to this microphone. So let's jump into Q&A before I uh, just continue to waste everybody's time. I actually do want to start with Anchor, which is funny because when I had my podcast hosted with Anchor, I used to say, hey, leave a voice message. You could go to the Anchor page and just click the thing and send in a voice message. But about a year ago or more, when I moved away from Anchor, I stopped doing that because I'm not hosted with Anchor anymore. But every once in a while, I'll get a message through Anchor, which is totally fine because the podcast page is still up, even though that's not the RSS feed that's going out. So like, there's no new episodes being published through Anchor. But if you were to somehow stumble across the podcast on Anchor, like it is there with all the episodes up until I guess it was like season three, I think are pretty much through there. But anyway... I have a, it's, it's a really funny message. Well, it, it includes something funny. It's from Charles Wood, who is host of the Until You Win podcast. So here is Charles's message. And I'm thoroughly loving your... That's the end of Charles's message. So I'm going to go ahead and rewind it. That was just a teaser so you could see his amazing audio quality. Uh, because, yes, there we go. We'll just blame Anchor's interface for that. We won't blame me. I could never make such a mistake. Anyway, here's Charles Wood's comment. Hi, Tom. This is Charles from the brand new podcast on Anchor called Until You Win. All thanks to you and Heather and your podcast and your videos. So I am binge listening to the Enthusiasm Project all the way from back from the beginning. And I want you to listen to something from episode uh, season two, episode eight. So jump to Instagram. The reason I laugh is because the first question was from someone I think I've heard of, Heather Just Create. And she's asking, when's the wedding? <laughs> Which is, uh, obviously she's talking about our wedding. Is getting engaged? Uh, so you start talking about your wedding and you were talking about um, 2020 and here you go. It's just a very cool sounding year. Same as in January. So, you know, hopefully it doesn't become associated with something horrible that happens around the world. And it's still a cool year, but I love the idea of 2020. Ironic that in 2021, now we can listen back to something that was said um, a year and a half ago, but I just want to uh, encourage you to keep up the great work. I, I, I haven't listened to your current one. So if you play this, please let me know. Thanks a lot. Have a great one. And I'm thoroughly loving your podcast. Thank you so much, Charles. I really appreciate the message. Good luck with your podcast. If me and Heather were able to play any kind of role in getting you up and running or, or helping out in any way, that is amazing. And I appreciate that. Your show looks awesome. Your show sounds awesome. So you're doing, you're doing a lot of good things there. The message here is funny. The parts for my podcast were sped up, but Basically, what it was is that it was an episode from January of 2020, and it was a Q&A episode, not unlike this one, where one of the, the first question I answered was from Heather, and she was like, hey, when's the wedding going to be? Because we had just gotten engaged, and we were going to get married in 2020, which we did, not the way we had planned, but we did. And the second part, I say, 2020 sounds like such a cool year, you know, I I hope it sure doesn't get associated with something terrible that happens around the world or anything, but... It's such a cool sounding year. And that wasn't being sarcastic. I was just like, 2020, like that's so futuristic. What a neat number, start of a new decade. Like, what a great year. <laughs> and I mean, 
in a lot of ways, there were a lot of great things that happened, but it was also the 2020 that we all came to know and love. And uh, that's just really funny. That's just really funny. I won't say that about any more years at the future be- in the future because uh, apparently me saying that is what jinxed everything, which would mean that everything that happened in 2020 was my fault. So, oops, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you again, though, so much, Charles. If you want to hear more from Charles, you can check out the Until You Win podcast, which is you like the letter U, uh, on Anchor and, and wherever you get your podcasts as well. If you would like to send in a voice or video or text submiss- submission for a future episode, even when it's not a Q&A episode, you can just email those to tom at enthusiasmproject.com. That is the easiest way to make sure you don't get overlooked and you get included. So now we're going to jump on over to Twitter for some uh, some Q&A. I apologize. I did this a little late, actually. I, I meant to post this yesterday, so I know some people might have cues and then they're going to miss the thing here. But uh, we've got some great questions this morning uh, from Twitter. So we'll just kind of start at the bottom. The first one is at showinwars underscore pod. And they ask, which, which evaluation tools do you use in terms of measuring podcast success? And that is a great question. Because well, I'll answer it my way, (laughs) which is might be a little bit different. So I think what you're asking is like, what analytics, what metrics, that kind of stuff. Uh, If that's what you're going for, Buzzsprout has a really rich analytics page where you can see all the info, countries, demographics, platforms, devices, all that kind of stuff. But that, I mean, that doesn't really, to me, that's not what the gauge is of success. Because if you look at the metrics of my podcast, it's it's so hard with podcasting because you either hear about shows that get like a bajillion downloads or you hear about the people who are struggling to get like five downloads a week. And if you're somewhere in the middle, if you're getting like a few dozen, a couple hundred, uh, maybe even up to like a thousand downloads a week per episode, you're actually doing really, really well. Like you're in the top 50 to 80% or higher even of podcasts. But it, it, it just sounds in the world of like TikTok views and YouTube views, it just doesn't sound like a lot. And if you're trying to monetize your podcast and you have, you know, 200 downloads an episode, it's not going to be a lot of money coming out. Um, and, and that's kind of where I fall. Usually like depending on the episode, it will go somewhere between four and 600 downloads per episode in that week, which is like kind of amazing to me. It's, it's so many more than I was going to ever imagine. Um, but it's, it's, I ain't Joe Rogan, not that I would want to be, but anyway, um, but yeah, so, so if you're looking at that, that to me, that's, I don't know, that's not the measure of success. The measure of success for me and the podcast is really the impact that it has. And that sounds super cheesy, but it really goes into what we talked about two weeks ago, like the power of one and one person watching your YouTube video can really mean something and, and all that. And the what I mean by that is there was just an article came out. I'll, I forget what it was, and I apologize, but Heather showed it to me. And it was like an advertising marketing industry thing. And it sort of showed ad rates for different platforms. And it was sort of like a basic guide of if somebody has X amount of followers on a platform, how much they would be worth in terms of like general ad spending. 
And what it came down to was like, you needed, you know, you needed a lot more followers on TikTok, for example, to equal the amount of money that you could earn on YouTube through ads or through sponsored content. And what they equated it to was how valuable a TikTok follow is versus an Instagram follower versus a YouTube subscriber. And I forget the exact thing, I apologize, but it, it was uh, something along the lines of one YouTube subscriber is worth 70 TikTok followers because it's so easy on a platform like TikTok to find people, follow them, click the button, and not really have any actual connection to them. Whereas on YouTube, it's much harder to get to get someone to subscribe. So when they do, they're more invested. And Instagram was like somewhere in the middle. But the reason I bring that up is because podcast listeners, I think are even, <laughs> this is not just to compliment you, the podcast listener, but hey, you look great today. Podcast listeners, I think, are even more valuable than that because they're not just subscribing to a YouTube channel. They're not just watching a video, but they're they're really kind of in it for a longer period of time because most podcasts, you know what, the average podcast is usually an hour long. Not just for me, but in general, it seems to be like the length that podcasts typically run for, 40 minutes to an hour or so. That's a lot of time. And unlike YouTube, podcast listening isn't nearly fed as much by algorithms and recommended stuff. You're kind of actively seeking out. You have your shows that you listen to and you kind of go through your library every week, see what's updated. And it's it's just a lot more of an active thing. It's a lot more of a time commitment. So it makes sense that fewer people would be doing that. But the people who are doing that, like they're really in it. You know, when I babble on for over an hour and someone is there till the end, that's a person who is on board with what I'm saying and what I'm doing and, you know, likes the show or or is just unable to change it for some reason. <laughs> like they're busy doing something and it just keeps playing over here. Hopefully it's the first one, not the second one of those. The reason I bring that up is because when I get messages from people related to the podcast, I get lots of great messages through YouTube and, and Instagram and stuff. But podcast messages are sort of at a different level. It's usually something that's just a little bigger. It's something that has a lot of meaning behind it, a lot of thought behind it. And it makes sense because of just the dynamic of podcasting. And so when it comes to measuring success, I can't say like, well, I got two life impacting emails this week. So the show was a success. But it's just the fact that those are things that come in fairly regularly is a huge measure of success for me. And I have fun doing it and people seem to like it. I love that. That's that's the measure of success is just keep doing that. And yeah, I mean, that. I know that sounds like the cheesiest thing in the world, but if you can do that through a podcast and have it be sustainable in your workflow to keep making the podcast, that is a win all around. So I hope that kind of makes sense. I hope that answers the question. Uh, next question is Disney Parks Addict, which is at Disney Parks YT. Hi, Tom. Just wondered the best way to reduce popping peas while recording audio. Uh, popping your peas. That would be uh, other than your actual mic technique, which is like being aware of making sounds and, and trying not to do the weird saliva mouth clicks and all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, using a pop filter at a windscreen. Depending on your microphone, you might need one, both, one or the other. So like right now I'm recording this, I am using a pop filter on the Lewitt 240, which I actually do prefer the look of the microphone very much without the pop filter. So I just removed it. I'm, I feel like when I removed it, 
some of the the high ends came back because the pop filter's gone. Even without the pop filter on, I'm not getting a ton of plosives. That's the popping peas. Because the microphone is kind of positioned at the side of my mouth. So it's it's about, I don't know, five or six inches away from my mouth or so. And it's coming at like a 45 degree angle. So as I'm talking, all the hot air is going straight past the microphone. Instead of if I pointed my mouth directly into the microphone and said like Peter Piper pitched a podcast then you hear those P's. But if I'm talking across the front of the microphone, then I'm not, um, then you're not hitting that air. Sorry, the air from my mouth is not hitting the microphone as clearly. And if I put the windscreen on, which is just the one that came with the microphone, in this case, it's pretty decent, then it's Peter Piper pitched a podcast that's even directly into the microphone, and it significantly reduces plosives. So, uh, you know, when I'm doing audio versions or podcast first things, I'm going to be using a windscreen or a pop filter all the time. When I'm doing video first things, like a stream, I'll probably not use the pop filter just because honestly, I do like the look of the microphone without the pop filter. And that helps to kind of like stimulate discussion in the stream is when the microphone looks neat, people talk about it and you can like have fun with people that way. But when I'm just focusing on audio, I'll pretty much always use that. And then of course, using a, uh, instead of the windscreen using an actual pop filter that you would mount in front of your microphone, like the mesh screen or the, or whatever, those really, really help too. If your microphone is something like the Shure MV7, where the default pop filter that, or default windscreen that comes with it is not very good and not very effective, you could replace it with another one, or you could use a pop filter in addition to the windscreen. So those are, those are really the big things. It's just, you know, depending on how you speak, Plosives may be more prominent. Those prominent plosives <laughs> might happen more often. But um, using the windscreen, using the pop filter, and making sure they're actually effective ones. For example, you might have seen this in my review of the Rode NT1 condenser mic. It came with a metal mesh windscreen. Sorry, pop filter. I always get the terms messed up. Windscreen is the one that goes on the microphone. Pop filter is the one that goes in front of, like, separate from the microphone. Um and the pop filter is so good, like, you know, if you blow air through it, nothing gets through to the other side, but it it doesn't really change the audio quality at all. So um, yeah, I'll take, I'm taking the windscreen off of the Lewitt again. So here is no pop filter, just Peter Piper pitched a podcast. And this is the Rode NT1 metal mesh, Peter Piper pitched a podcast. Pa, pa, pa. You can see like nothing is really getting through there. Now I put the the uh, windscreen that came with the Lewitt back on. So th that's really it. I mean, pretty simple, just working on your mic placement, your mic technique, and then making sure you're using a good windscreen and pop filter. And just practice, Apple, <laughs> actual practice. The reason I said Apple is because our next question comes from Matt W. Ruff at Matt W. Ruff on Twitter. And he asks how to post on Apple Podcasts dot, dot, dot. There's a lot to be said in that dot, 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 because it is sort of a pain. And I mean, it's it's relatively easy. So um, it's been a while since I set up my Anchor account. That was years ago. But one of the things I really liked when I set up my Anchor account was that it was so easy to submit the podcast to Apple. Just clicked one button and it went through. But what I learned was the reason it's so easy, and this isn't really like a nefarious thing, it's just because this is how they made it easy, is that essentially what you're doing is the podcast is being submitted through, um, it's being submitted through Anchor's account, 
and not not your own. So for example, um, if you go through Apple and you create your podcast there, you go through all those extra steps, but then you're in charge of it. Anchor is the one-click solution, but then you can't really log into your Apple account and see your podcast. There is a way to work with Anchor to move it over, which I've just been putting off because I don't know, I've just been putting it off, but I should probably do that. For other podcasts like The Couples Table, actually all my other podcasts, Peter and Tom and The Ska Podcast, I do one. I submitted those all myself because Buzzsprout does not submit stuff to Apple for you or really any director. Well, they submit some directories for you, but the big ones, they give you step-by-step, super detailed instructions on how to submit it, but you do it yourself and that puts you in full control of it. So to submit to Apple, there's actually a website that you have to go to that is that Apple does not advertise anywhere. Um, <laughs> Apple and podcasting is very confusing because it's like literally pod, iPod, like app, like podcasting came from Apple in a lot of ways, but they've like also neglected it for well over a decade. And then suddenly now we're like, yeah, podcasting is a big thing, but it's, I, I don't know, Apple and podcasting is weird, but it is the most by far the most common way that people will distribute and listen and download to podcasts so it's a very important directory to be a part of um and there's a website it's called podcastsconnect.apple.com and that's podcasts plural so it's kind of a clunky url podcastsconnect.apple.com and you can just sign in there with your apple id or you could create a new apple id for your specific podcast it doesn't really matter uh and then and then you, I'm not showing it on screen right now for those of you watching the video one because there's just like personal account numbers and things. Um, but if I log into mine, I actually see five podcasts. I see every one of mine, but but this one because this was submitted through Anchor. So I see Couples Table, Ska Podcast, and Peter and Tom. And I actually see two others that I produced for my previous school district which I guess I must have submitted under my own account because this was in the pre-anchor days. I was just using Squarespace for everything. And at least one of those is still in production years later. So even though it is under mine, I uh, they, they're able to produce it themselves and I have no, you know, I have no, um, it doesn't affect me at all. I'm just now looking at their analytics. I'm like, all right, there we go. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's what you, you, you submit it through there. And, and then it's very much like any other directory. You you submit it to some categories. You do your artwork. Most podcast directories won't really make stuff active until you have at least one episode up with your artwork. So that way it's like a complete show. So that's important. Um, and then with Apple, it usually takes a couple of days, maybe up to a week for them to approve it. And then after it's approved, sometimes it takes a couple days longer to actually show up in directories. So it's it's not really too bad of a process. It's just figuring out the account thing, going to podcastsconnect.apple.com, submitting your whole thing, and then your podcast host will give you an RSS feed. So that's what you're submitting to them. You're not uploading your episodes or anything, but say you you host with Buzzsprout, Buzzsprout will give you an RSS feed for your podcast. And then when you're signing up with Apple, there'll be a, a field where you paste that RSS feed, and that's how they're going to pick up all your new episodes whenever you submit them. Uh, and it does seem like Apple's also pretty much the last directory to actually get your episodes for some reason. So like, you know, if I finish recording this episode and publish it right away, it'll be up on Spotify in like two minutes. It'll be up on some of the other podcast ho- or podcast platforms in a couple of minutes. It might not be up on Apple to like 
later today or maybe even tomorrow. Sometimes it seems more instant, sometimes it's not, I don't know, but that's the basics of it. Podcastsconnect.apple.com. Wish it were a little more simple out there. Uh, Our next question comes from Patrick Boberg at Pat Babom <laughs> on Twitter. And Patrick, by the way, he is the one, I mean, we've he, heard him on this show before several times. He's the one that wrote the theme to the Ska podcast, and he's actually going to be next week's guest, or if you're listening to this on Monday, he'll be this upcoming Friday the 13th, spooky, guest on the Ska podcast. So we sat down and talked about Ska music for an hour, and it was super fun. Uh, Patrick asks a three-part question, and it's probably the most important question that I'll be getting today. He asks, if you had to use one of your microphones as a melee weapon in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, post-apocalyptic wasteland, uh, which, number one, which microphone would do the most damage? That is a great question, and I've actually been thinking about this. Uh, So, most damage... I'm kind of torn between the pod mic and the SM7B purely because of weight. They're actually the Q9U is is damaged, but I'm leaning towards the pod mic because the yoke on the pod mic is very easy to grab. For some reason, more so, well, maybe the SM7B is easy. I'm just gonna say the pod mic because it's like it just got a good balance to it and a good weight to it. And I really feel like I think in my review to it, I even talked about you could use it as a weapon. So I'm gonna go with the pod mic for most damage. But the second part is Patrick asked, which microphone would cause me the most personal anguish to bludgeon a zombie with? Oh, and most damage, possibly maybe the S mic too, because you could like stab. But I guess that's not melee. Anyway, uh, which microphone would cause me the most personal anguish? Um, that's a tough one. I feel like, I feel like, uh, maybe the neat worker bee, not because like, I love it more than my other microphones, but just by its very nature, it's like a very fun, happy, friendly microphone. And so using it for violence just feels, um, wrong. (laughs) I'm using all of them for violence feels wrong, but the worker bee, I feel like it's against its DNA to to do anything like that and number three which microphone would you would i rather die than desecrate obviously that's going to be the uh newer nw800 (laughs) which if you wanted to talk about which microphone would do the most damage i'll just say it's the newer nw800 if the zombies are sensitive to like sonic unpleasantness because i could just plug it in have like a portable speaker do a podcast and uh, they would just explode from bad sound. <laughs> but uh, t- to be honest, I don't have a clever answer for that. I don't. I don't have that level of attachment. To the thing is, my mic collection is relatively budgetary. I talked about that in this week's video. My most expensive mic is the Shure SM7B, and I did not even pay for this because Sweetwater Sound sent it to me. So. And that's $400. So the most expensive mic I have is a $400 mic that I didn't pay for. (laughs) Otherwise, my most expensive mic is like a $280 microphone. So I have sentimental attachment to all of them because I am somebody who gets overly sentimental with inanimate objects, possibly the result of being an only child. I, I get weirdly attached to things, and I know I shouldn't, but I cannot help it, and and the memories associated with those things. And then 
yeah, so I have that with a lot of my microphones, but I don't have like a, you know, I don't have a $13,000 microphone where I'm like, no, take me instead. Like, yeah, I'll just buy another one, you know, that's okay. <laughs> so I believe, I'm going to double check, I believe those are all of our Twitter questions that we're going to go through today, which moves us on over to the old Instagram. So if you want to know how you can submit questions to a Q&A episode through Instagram, I just post them through Instagram stories. And then uh, I post a little question box where you can reply to. So we've got a fun little collection here to go with. <laughs> and I just saw that as I opened this, Patrick submitted a question. We'll save that one for last. Uh, so here we go. This is from at Scott Pack, P-A-Q 51. How do you figure out the right amount of sound design to put in your podcast? Thanks, Tom. That is a great question, and I am a terrible example of sound design in podcasts because a truly great podcast producer can create like an auditory experience, whereas I play some music and then talk for a while, and sometimes I'll bring in like a video clip or something. I don't really think that counts as sound design. Um, so for me, it's just functional. Intro song, voice possibly clips, outro song. That's it. Uh, I do have the ambition where I would love to do a more like polished, I guess you might call it even story-driven podcast, but I don't have the, I was thinking about this question, I don't have the like energy (laughs) or time to do that. Because if you listen to something like Serial or This American Life or those kinds of shows, a lot of times, I mean, that's the people's full-time job is creating those shows and putting in the amount of work. Um, I know somebody who does a podcast, not necessarily their full-time job, but it has a lot of that value in it. And for each hour episode, they put in about 20 hours of editing. I can't do that. Even if I eliminated all my other podcasts and just focus on one, I can't, I can't do that because that time just has to be dedicated elsewhere. Now, what I can do, though, which I think I'm really glad you asked this question because it gave me the idea, is maybe once or twice per season, I could try to make one of those episodes. So I'm not trying to do that on a weekly basis or anything, but just once or twice per season, find a topic that that lends itself to that like more in-depth explanation and then kind of play with that where you're adding in. It's not just me talking the whole time, but there's pauses, there's music, there's sound effects, maybe you're bringing in interviews, you're kind of building this entire world. Um, That would be really, really fun. So because of this question, I think that's going to be one of my goals is by the end of this season, don't hold me to it. You know, if I don't do it, I don't do it. But I would really like to try and do a, you know what, actually, as we're talking and doing this right now, I'm going to put it in the season five podcast thingy majig. So I'm going to put it right there, like a story-driven episode with sound design. There. Now I won't forget. <laughs> uh, but but another great thing about this question is I had the awesome experience. Heather and I got to hang out with Jared Spink from the Hive podcast this past weekend just because he happened to be in our area. It was great to meet Jared in person. I've been on his podcast. He's been on my podcast. We've We've all been on each other's shows, but Jared recommended a book that I'm holding up to the camera right now, and it's the NPR Podcast Startup Guide. It's relatively inexpensive. I think it was about $20, maybe a little more on Amazon. It's an awesome hardcover book. Jared said there is an audio version, but I really like the printed version because I will 
to make notes and highlight and stuff like that. I haven't yet dove into this because I'm working on my second podcast course. It's going to be called the Podcaster Idea Book to go along with the playbook. And I don't want to accidentally be overly influenced by somebody else's book because that would be bad. So I'm kind of waiting until I'm done with that course in the next week or so before I can really dive into this. Um, but if you ever listen to an NPR-produced podcast, my favorite podcast of all time is S-Town, which if you haven't listened to it, do yourself a favor. It's only seven episodes, came out in 2017. But if you want a perfect example of sound design and quality and storytelling and the whole thing, listen to S-Town. It's my, I've listened to that whole podcast like five times. It's my absolute favorite one. Such a good story. It's an easy listen. It's, you know, seven hours total. So listen to it on your commute for a week or two and you're done. Um, but this book, the the NPR podcast startup guide, it does go into like technical stuff, the difference between a windscreen and a pop filter, or how to position your microphone, that kind of stuff. But it goes into like copyright claims. It goes into um, mixing your show. It goes into long form narratives, how to structure your show, how to how to build in sound design in an effective way. And it's from the people who do it pretty much better than anybody. So I would 100% recommend this book. It's by Glenn Weldon. But if you just go online and search up NPR's podcast startup guide, you'll find it. It's amazing. And it will absolutely help you kind of handle those like more in-depth details. So uh, that is what I would recommend there. Thank you so much for that question. Next question comes from at Mr. Marcus Burns. How important are the other elements supporting a podcast? For example, website, newsletter, social media. I think they are incredibly important. Um, I think the order, they're not all equally important. And it, it also depends on what your goal is. If your goal is, you know, if your goal is just promotion, that's going to work differently than if your goal is connecting with your audience versus maintaining control over your content. Because the beauty of podcasting, very much unlike YouTube, is if you wanted, you could host everything yourself. You could start a website, buy your domain, buy your hosting. You could even set up your own server and then host your your um, your podcast there, get an RSS feed, submit it to directories, and then be all set. I'm like in the middle of about to sneeze. That's why if I sound weird, I'm like, like holding in a sneeze. A true podcast professional would cut that out. Anyway, I'll keep going. <laughs> so you could do everything yourself, which is really, really cool. Um, or you can you can host everything on a free site like Anchor. It's, it's entirely up to you. Social media is good. I think social media is effective if you want to kind of keep a, a, um, a dialogue going. So for example, if you watch a YouTube video or even a YouTube version of a podcast, there can be comments and then people can interact with it in the comments. But typically on an audio podcast, you can't really do that. You can't, you have a thought while you're listening and you know, you might have to send it into the email address for the show or whatever. But if you have social media, a lot of times shows will post, you know, a new episode is out and then that can be a place where you can get into discussion with people about that episode or where people could discuss your episode. So that could be a good use of social media. The most important thing, though, to have is your own website. It does not have to be a full-on, you know, built-out experience. 
But just having your own website, which can be a collection of everything, can be simple, it can be complex, whatever you want, but it can list where to go for everything, what you have, and that is a central resource just because if something happens to one of the other platforms, being able to still have a place where people can find you, connect with you, get updated and all that stuff is hugely important. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about like how to protect your YouTube channel. And I just yesterday, YouTube posted a video on Twitter from Jim Browning's YouTube channel, which is 3.3 million subscribers. His channel is Tech Support Scams. So his channel is all about tech scams. You know, those people call you about your car warranty. What's the deal with that? Like, what is the end goal there? Because it's sure not about your car warranty. He's dedicated millions of subscribers to tech scams. And he got scammed and tricked into deleting his own YouTube channel with 3.3 million subscribers. He was fortunately able to get it back. He made a whole video about it, explaining how and why this happened and the whole experience. But point being... It goes back to that thing of you don't want that to be the only place where people can contact you or reach out to you and having a central hub as your website, even if it's just a landing page. They go to yourname.com and then see like, here's your YouTube link, here's your Instagram link, here's your podcast link. If you want to build out a full website with blog posts and photos and different pages for things and make it like an actual resource for people, that's cool too. Uh, I mean, that's amazing. But you don't have to take it that far. Just a simple website where you can, you know, you can go. And and getting the domain for your your podcast is good too. Like even if it does just point to a landing page on your website or heck, even just like your Buzzsprout page, but whatever your podcast is, if that domain is available, getting that and hanging on to that is, is really, really helpful because you kind of never know when you might need it. So that's what I would recommend. Um, so I, I, guess, I don't know if that made sense. That's what I would recommend. My thought is that um, doing a website is is the most single important resource because you do have the most control over it. So definitely, if nothing else, get a website and build everything around that. Uh, you can use my terrible website. Hi, my name is Tom.com as an example. It's not terrible, but it's not it's not uh, it's not one of those things where it's like I sat down and planned out the whole thing before I started making it. It's like this is what it's turned into after however many years, (laughs) but I like it. So that's fine. Here we go. Next question. Jetpack Jeff. Good to see you back again. Hey, Tom, have you had any dilemmas showing love to friends doing better than me and vice versa? Thankfully, no. Um, So this is something that happens and it was, I forget, it must have been the end of season three. There's an episode I did called the comparison game or comparison is the thief of joy. And it's all about how comparing yourself to others. We can't even talk about that earlier this couple weeks ago. Um, Comparing yourself to others can really take away from your sense of joy and passion for what you're making, which is not great. And it can sometimes be easy, especially if you're like, you start, say, a YouTube channel, someone else starts their channel a year or two later, and then they shoot by you and, and start getting bigger numbers and more subscribers and more views and Maybe they could go full-time before you could, and then you kind of feel, like, resentful about that. Um, That's where it goes into the whole conversation we had about staying in your creative lane and not trying to get distracted by that. So what I can say for me personally 
is I have known quite a few people who have started at the same time or later than me and gotten significantly more successful, like in terms of numbers on the platform than me. But because I have been able to to focus on my creative lane, I have never felt upset about that. And the thing that makes me happy, because I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how to tell you to do this, but it's the thing that makes me happy is when a friend has success, it genuinely makes me happy. You know, like say somebody who started their channel after me gets a silver play button in half the time. Uh, I am like actually super excited for them, genuinely happy. And it makes me glad that that is the feeling that I have. I don't know. I don't know why that's the case because I could understand why it could be jealousy, resentment, frustration, whatever. Um, but I think it just comes from knowing where you're at, feeling secure in what you're doing, understanding that other people are on their own paths and everybody's kind of going at different paces. And then remembering just like, geez, it's not about you. You know, like it's about their journey and they did their, they started from the beginning, they did the work, they got there, and you can be happy for them. Now, the, the other side is how do people feel about you if you happen to like get success that they don't have or it's, it's that thing where you start after them and, and you grow faster. I'm using growth as the metric for success, but I know that's not the only metric for success. Fortunately, that's not something I've ever had to experience. Um, everybody I know, like, I mean, Heather, my wife, started her YouTube channel a year before me, more than a year before me. And then it, after a couple of years, my channels grew past hers in size, but, you know, she like she's only ever been happy and supportive about that. And then also, I mean, you can easily look like the thing that she's doing with her channels focuses so much on direct, deep level impact with a smaller number of people versus broad impact on a larger number of people so it's it's like not everybody even needs or wants to get to those points um, and I'm fortunate that anyone in my life who I have like passed in terms of numbers has been nothing but gracious and supportive about it and I know that's not the case for everyone because I <laughs> I do have a few friends who also have YouTube channels and they have gotten to points where they've gotten messages from other larger like well-known YouTube creators that are very uncomfortable with somebody else kind of stepping into the space and it is shocking to me that this is a thing that happens <laughs> and it's shocking that someone to go out of their way to be like I can't support what you're doing or you know I just want you to know like you're growing but this is my area and this is what I do over here so please make sure to not step into the like no that's insane um so obviously kind of lose a little bit of respect for the people who do that. Fortunately, I've never had that experience, but I do know people who have, and that sucks. And for the people I know who've been on that side of things, it does make them feel bad, but it's not like they're going to stop what they're doing. It just, it's that bummer thing of like, you look up to someone, now you're doing something where you're kind of going like, oh my gosh, like we're, I'm getting to where you're at, person I admire. And instead of being happy for you, the person's like, how dare you? Like, this is my space. you got to get out of here. So that's, you know, everybody deals with their own stuff. But I have been very, very lucky so far. So I haven't had any dilemmas with that. Um, I don't know. I've just been super lucky that everybody's cool. <laughs> and that's awesome. Uh, here we go. At Tim underscore white. Not a question, but it's a question. 
I miss talking with you. How are you actually doing? <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I miss talking. I mean, you can just send me a message at any time. Um, Tim is a great guy. He's super funny. I'm doing great. Uh, what how am I doing? I'm doing good. I'm exhausted. I'm in this mode right now where I feel great. I am super excited about everything, but I just like haven't been able to to take a break for a while. So it's not like a burnout. Like I'm not like, oh my God, I have like I want to keep doing stuff, but I'm physically getting to the point where like I can't keep my eyes open and I'm exhausted. So that's bad. Um, but I am my last big push, we we checked off a bunch of big projects this week, which is cool. Um, a big one is that Heather and I are speaking at Leap Into Live, which is Ecamm's like conference convention. It's a virtual one this year. It's going to be in September. Um, and we had to put together our like session for that and the pre-recorded stuff. And that's been a big, you know, that's been a big thing that's kind of hanging over us. And we got that all finished and wrapped up this week. And I feel really good about that. <laughs> and it came out great too. Um, and then the next big one is doing a second course that I mentioned earlier to go along with the podcaster playbook, which is the podcast production course that I made that came out in May. I'm doing another one. It's called the podcaster idea book because uh, what I noticed was the biggest struggle, even after people went through the playbook was some people still felt like they didn't have a good handle on what their idea was for their podcast. So this is a um, this is a smaller course that's like a, you could either be a companion to the playbook or you could do it on its own if you feel comfortable with your production skills. But it runs through some real like basically I just kind of leaned on what would happen when I was teaching and I would assign something and my students couldn't come up with ideas and I'd run through exercises with them to help them develop and come up with an idea to work on. It's sort of like a version of that. So it's like very concrete. There's a discussion of genre and then there's just some different exercises like let's walk through step by step, do this, do this, do this to kind of like come up with an idea, break it down, test it out to see if it has legs. And then at the end of it, you'll have your idea ready to go along with episodes, episode ideas for your first run of episodes. So here's your concept you're going to do 10 episodes of it. Here are, you know, the the outlines for your first 10 episodes. Not that it's totally scripted or finished, but at least you know, like, I have an idea that's good enough to continue. It's not just one or two episodes. So that is coming out this month. Uh, you can go to podcasterideabook.com if you wanted to pre-order it and get it the day that it comes out. Uh, that comes out this month. I'm recording it starting tomorrow. I'm recording this podcast on Friday, so I'm recording Saturday and Sunday, and then editing that through next week. And then uh, at some point later this month, we're going to take a trip to visit some family, which involves no working at all. So my goal is to get, you know, to get the new course done and up, to continue to get all the videos and podcasts and things up. And then once everything's up and running, I can kind of take a break for a bit. I'll feel so good once the next course is done. So that's that's the thing there. Uh, up next, Taylor Inc. 8 asks, "What? who do you want to work with in the future? I have, I mean, <laughs> I have like the YouTube people that I'm fans of that I would like to work with, but I never know, you know, I never know how to pitch like a collab idea. I'm so bad at that, which is why I don't really do any kind of collaborations on my channel because I just, I have such a hard time coming up with ideas 
that are beneficial for both me and the other person and aren't just kind of like very basic, simple, the kind of stuff you've seen a million times. So that's really tough. Uh, I would love to work with, if there was someone I admire whose channel I like and I'm a fan of in any niche or genre, but there's like something that pops up where we can truly like do something together, that would be awesome. One of my favorite closest thing to a collaboration that I've had recently is the podcast with Peter Lindgren because we're finally bringing that back. Um, it's just been a crazy eight months since we've recorded an episode. So we we now have a weekly recording schedule for that again, at least through the end of 2021. And that's exciting because every week, you know, I get to do a project with somebody else and we're bringing in kind of a video version like this as well. So you should be able to see the video version um, of that podcast posted. Actually, it'll be, it'll be this Sunday if you're watching the video version. It'll be yesterday if you're listening to the audio version of this. That'll be on Patreon channel memberships as well. So I'm trying to bring in, if I'm doing video versions of other podcasts like the Ska podcasts or um, the podcast with Peter and Tom, trying to put those up as perks as well. Um, that's been a super fun collaborative thing and Peter's an awesome guy. So he's the one that comes to mind in terms of like, who do you want to work with? Because we've been talking about if he could come to the US or we could go to Sweden. I, it's just not possible in terms of travel right now. But that's like, I would love to go to Sweden and visit him because I really would love to visit Sweden and Peter's studio looks amazing and the town he lives in looks amazing and that's where I would like to go. So I guess that'll be my answer there. Um, let's see here. Last question now from Pat Babam. I feel like I've heard that name before. <laughs> uh, Pat asks, tomorrow you wake up and all your gear has disappeared. What's the first start over purchase? This is a great question because um, I've had that thought. I had that thought like when I was trying to buy a new camera, I was thinking, you know, I, I I was in the Canon ecosystem firmly and then thinking of going into Sony and and just through that whole thing, I kept thinking like, well, what, what would I recommend to someone who's just starting out, has nothing, no attachment to anything? Would I recommend a Canon or recommend a Sony? And, and there's so many variables, you know, budget and whatnot um, that go into that. But it did, it did cause me to think like, well, what do I have that I... I, I'm really lucky with all my gear, I guess. I like it all. So considering I do audio video work, I need stuff that can create audio and video. So I need a camera. I need some kind of good audio thing and I need lights. So those are the really important things. Um, I would go with, I'm having a hard time choosing between an audio and a video related thing. If Pat the question is my gear disappeared, but I still have like my phone and I could film on there. <laughs> I, I would go with like um, some kind of audio thing. I would love to just get another roadcaster. Then that would be the heart of it. Uh, if that could include a microphone, if I can't get a roadcaster and a microphone, I don't think you're being this technical with your question. I think I'm dissecting it too much. <laughs> I would get audio first. So that way I could have good sounding audio. Even if my video quality wasn't amazing, having the good audio would be important um, and then I would upgrade, I would upgrade the camera because the camera for me plays such a specific role in achieving the style and the look that I want. And then uh, I'd focus on lighting. So yeah, camera, no, audio, video, and then lighting. I feel like it might be smart to do audio lighting than video because even with like a phone or a, an older camera, 
like I have my Canon XL1 here, my 20 year old mini DV camera. That's like the best. And this thing, if you have enough light, like if I take it outside or I'm using it in this studio environment, it doesn't look the same as the Sony a7S III by any means. It doesn't even look as good as a modern phone, but it doesn't look terrible. So like I could get by with using the XL1 and some good lights and audio. So yeah, audio. And then I think I would go for camera with a good lens and then lighting. But I think the more practical advice might be audio lighting and then camera. But cameras are just so fun, you know? And I get to buy a new camera. Uh, but I really hope all my gear doesn't disappear. That would be terrible. And now I feel like I'm going to jinx myself because the whole thing with Charles' question where I said, like, I hope something terrible doesn't happen in 2020 and then 2020 happened. Uh, so now I'm nervous. I'll be nervous until tomorrow morning, Pat. So thank you so much for the anxiety there. I'm just going to double check that we have gone through all our stuff. Oh, look at this. We got a couple other questions as I was answering those questions. So we got two more. Um, last one is from, not last, second to last one is from Scott Duncan H says, how can those plastic, how come the, oh, sorry. How can those plastic roadcaster dust covers cost so much? What Scott is talking about, you can hear it if you're listening to the audio version. If you're watching the video version are these deck savers right here. Um, this is from decksaver.com. They're a company based in the UK that started making these polycarbonate plastic clear plastic covers for like dj equipment audio gear and then they moved into some like video and streaming gear so they have the roadcaster pro cover and the um they have atem covers as well for both the small ones and the big atem the for all the minis <laughs> it's weird to say that there's a big mini um but i do get this question a lot those covers are amazing and i love them and i recommend i probably have to recommend them like once or twice a day at this point um, but people often wonder like, why is it so expensive? It's just a clear piece of plastic. If you go to Decksaver's actual website, decksaver.com, I think they are a little cheaper. I believe the Roadcaster one is $50. Uh, but then you have it shipped from the UK and that can be more expensive. So it ends up being 60 or $70. If you see like right now, I see the Ro Roadcaster one is on B&H photo for $80. And people are like, why am I spending $80 for a piece of plastic? I agree. Maybe you don't need to. Um, it depends on your need for it. I really like it because I hate when dust and stuff gets on equipment. And I live in, in the desert. It's dry and dusty. And we have two dogs who shed a lot. So it's very nice to protect equipment, especially something like the Roadcaster because it has the, the faders have the little channels that they slide up and down in and dust can get in there. The Roadcaster does have little plastic kind of covers inside that the fader slides between to keep dust out, but it can still get in there. And once you get dust in there and it starts affecting the sound quality and the way that the, the faders feel, it's it's not fun. So to me, it's a worthwhile investment to protect something that is a crucial part of my workflow. And the reason that they're expensive is because while they look just like clear plastic, they are incredibly, incredibly strong. So um, they're not like a, a replacement for like a road case or a traveling case for your gear, but you can put this on and, and move stuff around and it's going to be really safe. I dropped the Shure SM7B onto my Roadcaster one the other day because I, I had quickly taken it off 
of the roadcaster and just kind of set it leaning against my desk on the ground and then i was switching microphones and i dropped the mic directly onto the corner of this which is going back to pat's question of which mic would be a good melee weapon that's a very big heavy microphone landed right on here from multiple feet up in the air and there's not even um like a crack there's little like scratches over time but the point is how strong these are very different than just like a clear piece of plastic or or something and how well they fit they're extremely like form fitting and it's just kind of a friction fit i don't know they're really really high quality that's the answer i guess don't look at them as just a cheap plastic cover because uh, they are definitely not and the last question is from dan c bearded i want to make sure dan got in here as august is rolling in do you miss any aspects of the back-to-school season? Dan, your question could not have come at a better time because just yesterday um, I was telling Heather, not my school district that I just left, but the one before that, they started school this past Tuesday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were going to the store last night and I was thinking like, oh my God, I would be done with the second day of school at this point and instead I am not doing any of that. Um, and my school starts up officially on, I think, the 18th of this month, or the school that I worked at before. Yeah, so just about two weeks, which means next week would be the last week of summer vacation. I would typically already be in my classroom setting stuff up, planning stuff. Like, my summer break would basically be over by now. And so it feels really great. This is the first August in my life without anxiety because my whole teaching career I would always get very nervous in August, just starting a new school year. You could be excited about it too, but a lot of nerves for me came with it. And even prior to that, in college, starting school years, nerves. And even prior to that, then high school, elementary school, you know, August and early September was always the end of summer. So it's this time of year has always been a time where I have felt anxious my whole life. And now this time I don't have to feel that way. Like it's totally different. However... I had a dream last night. And I know one of the most interesting things people can do is tell you about their dreams because nothing is more entertaining than hearing that. But it, it was a dream where I was teaching. It was the first days. It was like the second day of school. And I was teaching my class, but I was kind of in a different classroom. And there was like a substitute in the corner. And I was going through everything. And then it was like halfway through when I was talking about what projects we'd be working on this year that I was like, wait, I don't teach this anymore. What do I teach? Like, and I realized the substitute was the new teacher, but like they were just being polite in this awkward situation and they weren't kicking me out of the room. And I had this whole crisis of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to teach. What do I do? And then like that class ended and I was like, I should go to the office and ask them, where do I go? Like, where's my classroom? What do I do? And then I was like, wait, no, I resigned. That wasn't only for that school year. That was forever. So I guess I can just leave because I'm not even supposed to be here. And then I I, I woke up at that point. But um, so it's kind of like a goofy, weird dream. But it actually made me feel kind of sad because there is that like that that excitement of getting to start something new with your students for the year. There is, especially in the program that I got to teach, like a digital media program, you know, you have kids who are returning who are actually excited to be, like they want to come back because they get to do the cool stuff in your in that program. That's really cool. Like I, I can remember there are times where it's the first day of school and kids are just like, as soon as they see you, they're like, yeah, like I can't wait. I've been waiting all summer. I have so many ideas for stuff I want to do. I miss that kind of energy. 
because uh, that's really, really cool. And I, I mean, the thing, the thing that's been hardest, like now that it's been a few months, the, the, the complete stress, exhaustion, depression, all that is like, it's kind of what I'm remembering more are the positive things, which is good. Um, but the thing that happens constantly is I'll do something and I'll have an idea and I'll be like, this would be a great project. I can't wait to like talk about this in class. We could do this on the broadcast. And then I realize, no, we cannot. Um, so it's not in any way that I regret my decision. Cause I also have not set an alarm since March 19th, which is amazing. So, uh, that is worth everything right there. And fortunately we've been able to make such a just such a cool community online, both with my channel, my podcast, with Heather's stuff, with our community that we put together, which if you want to check that out, it's amazing. You can go to justcreatemore.com and it's like, it's the coolest place on the internet. <laughs> um, so it's been really cool to kind of shift that energy towards uh, a bigger audience and a wider audience. But this is definitely a weird time now where it's like, oh, a lot of people I know and a lot of my friends are going back to work and I am not, I'm not, I want to be super clear for people who like follow that journey. No regrets. I am so happy to not have to do all that stuff and go to those meetings and go to those trainings and count down like now how many days till Christmas break? Not that every teacher feels that way, but I'm just very happy with my decision. But there are like the wonderful parts of teaching and I miss those. And when the new school year's starting and it feels like the world is moving on without you, it just sort of brings out that feeling a little bit more than it has in the past. But I'm glad that I that I had an experience where there was something to miss. And I still love that stuff all the way till the end. The problem was that it just felt like the balance had been off for so long where you would think that like, the teaching part and the working with students and the developing curriculum would be the main thing that you do. And all the other stuff would be secondary, the meetings, the politics, all that stuff. And it just flipped so much where it felt like I had to like, it felt like I had to swim up a waterfall to get to a point where I could finally just teach, teach a lesson in my classroom or like work with students. And that was just so frustrating. Um, and I don't miss that at all because now when I have an idea and I want to do something, I can do it immediately so that is cool and uh, wouldn't trade that for the world. Plus no alarm clocks. Most of my days on planet Earth, I have been woken up by an alarm clock. And the past four months, I have not had that happen once. I can't put a price on that. That is like amazing. Um, but anyway, so thanks, Dan. I know you're going back to school. I hope you're doing incredibly well. I hope you're excited. I hope you're having the positive excitement of the back to school time and along with anyone else who works in the world of education. Um, yeah, I hope you have a, a great, great time. So thank you to everybody who sent in questions. We'll be doing another Q and a episode closer to the end of the season. I'll be sure to post the post the posts a little earlier. So that way you don't miss out on that. If you want to see the video version of this podcast, or you just want to support the show, there's links in the links in the show notes, not the description because it's called something different on podcasting. Um, but you can go Patreon, YouTube channel memberships. The perks are the same across both platforms. So, yay. And, oh, and I did launch that new Discord server. So patrons and channel members, there's a Discord server where everyone kind of hang out. And that's been super fun, too. So there's all kinds of, like, projects like that I would never have time for. And now I have time to, like, explore all these cool things. And that is, it's been, it's been completely awesome. So 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everybody who sent in questions. I really appreciate it. And I will see you, well, until I see you again, be sure to stay safe, have fun, all that good stuff. I messed up the cadence of how I do my outro, but a true podcaster professional would redo it. Anyway, have a great week. See you later. (laughs) 